This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Happy New Year and welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm your host, Scott Schutte, and with us back. For more in 2022, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Dan. What's up, Scott? How you doing? I am doing great, Dan. How are you this fabulous new year? I would be bad if I said Fair anything, but... Too that. Yes, that. How I, could I just start a, wild a new guess. year off? It was a wild guess. It was good, though. How can I start a new year off any other way? I don't know. No idea. No idea. But you had a good uh, good Mm -hmm. holiday? I did. I had a lovely holiday. It was fantastic. That's Uh, fantastic. Some family, some friends, uh, non-anxiety over more COVID, you know, usual holiday stuff at this point. Yeah. So I I took uh, some vacation, which I think everybody should, and and that was great. And yes. I actually disconnect. I detached from work better than I have in years. It was fantastic. I actually bought a video game, and I haven't played a video game in about a decade. And I just sat. What? Um, yeah, well, I haven't played a video game in a long, long time. And I just sat in my on my couch and you know in my in my shorts and played Diablo Two Remastered for days it was awesome oh my god that's amazing we gotta get some rounds of halo in scott that's what you gotta pick up you gotta pick up some halo master chief collection halo is great i I like halo i you know diablo can turn into a nice just uh turn my brain off and kill monsters and then go shopping basically all the things (laughs) that i love so much you know you know what i'm saying which is ta-da which is really awesome all those things yeah so also with us, ladies and gentlemen, back for more uh, this year. You love her, uh, Abby Dawson. Everybody. Abby. Hey, Scott. Hey. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> so excited to hear that drop again. I know, right? It's <laughs> oh, one of my favorite things. Um, it is the it, best drop in the podcast world. Just saying. <laughs> I thought Fair to Midland was the best drop in the pod. to Midland. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was the best. I mean, it's um, good. It's good, but it's not the Abby Dawson drop. It's not the Abby Dawson drop. How was your vacation holiday, Abby? It was nice. It was relaxing. We kind of have like a smaller holiday this year. but Wasn't that great? It's nice. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm I, uh, taking your guys' advice made Christmas a whole lot more of just being with folks that I care about and killing monsters and going shopping, which is great. Which is cool. <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to be with the people that I love the most. And today we have a very special guest with us. Um, Mr. Will Wilbershide is going to talk to us about some really awesome stuff. But first, we want to get to know Will with a little segment that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Will. What up? What's your deal, man? I have so many deals. Which one would you like to know about? 
I would love to know all about uh, who you are, uh, what you do, and what you um, do to live, drive, and survive, sir. Yeah, rock on. So uh, I'll give you the, the piece off the resume. Uh, I'm a lean Six Sigma black belt. So in the world of office space, I am the Bobs. Uh, but I believe in something with all my heart called compassionate lean, which starts uh, and ends with respect for people. And that's that's how Toyota built it. And that's how it's meant to be exercised. A lot of companies grab a hold of lean and they use it to to gnaw workforces down and, and get rid of a lot of people. And that's a perversion of the tool. So we'll spend a little time talking about that. Uh, I'm a lifelong leader. I've always led teams of some size, whether in operations or or in continuous improvement engineering or in training. So a couple of years back, my my work asked me to take on a uh, skip level assignment to take over a large frontline training operation across the five states and five sites. And I said, sure, because I'm a huge believer of you say yes to the universe where the universe will punish you. Uh, and that was an amazing, amazing experience. And, and one of the things we discussed was bringing a continuous improvement mindset to a training organization, which tends to be a little bit of a softer cost, uh, tends to be looked at as a cost center. And I said, no, with a process improvement mindset, it could be a revenue generator and we could create fantastic, fun-loving team members while we save the company real hard savings. And that was just an amazing evolution. So that's my deal. I love this so much because you have hit on the dichotomy of learning when so many people are like, oh, it's a cost center. We got to have learning, right? Which means that when things get tight, the first thing they do is pump learning, right? See you guys have fun. Thanks for all the fish, right? But, you know, you can teach people and have them learn and grow and increase business performance while doing it. Like, they are not mutually exclusive, folks. Like, you can. I know it. You can do both. You can put together amazing sales uh, training programs that also help people grow into better people. So I'm just super excited to, to have you on. And I can't wait to hear more about um, this whole process improvement mindset for, for learning. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the topic of the week with Mr. Will Wilbershide, folks. All right, Will, um, talk a little bit about uh, process improvement with uh, learning in this. I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear more about uh, uh, compassionate lean, I, and I love that term. So go ahead. Yeah, so uh, fun fact, to earn your, your Six Sigma black belt, you have to complete generally two projects, and each one has to be greater than 500 grand. Uh, when I completed my second project on the record, it was for ramp to proficiency, and we generated almost 2 million bucks in bookable savings in the training organization uh, by, by exercise compassion, exercising compassion and helping ramp our students more confidently, more quickly to goal so that they could go out into the production environment and take great phone calls and be a great part of the uh, the company. But we got them there faster and more efficiently. Uh, so that you're exactly right. It's not mutually exclusive. Uh, what's good for the company is we train them once and we keep them. Uh, what's good for the student is we train them once and we hang on to them and we create a great environment in which they want to work and live. Uh, that That attrition, that's the nasty monster that no one talks about, right? We, we train them, you know, we hire them, we train them, we put them in production, they fail fantastically, they quit, and we start the cycle again. Uh, Dan and I jokingly refer to this as the fire hire cycle. Sometimes we like to say it in the other order, but that's, that's not it. Because the second crank there is we, we hire them, we train them, we put them in production, then we write them up, and then we fire them, and then we have to start the entire cycle again. And both are hugely negative experiences for the team member. Uh, but uh, for greedy capitalists, it's really expensive for businesses to do this. And yet they're blindingly good at it. Blindingly good. <laughs> My experience is that you are 1000% correct that we we excel at that. And it's got to be interesting for you because now um, everybody's kind of talking about what you just indicated. Um, whether or not their organization wants to admit it or not 
I think a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully the great resignation that we're all experiencing in almost every business sector is, is, is opening people's eyes to, to this problem. Think about in any organization, how well-funded and well-staffed the HR department is and how good they are at preventing litigation by making sure we've documented a termination correctly, right? We've got the right PIP forms. We've got the right uh, write-up forms. The right amount of time has gone by, and we're not at any risk to firing correctly. We do not put any of that rigor into a success plan. In my experience, in my direct experience with 25 years of leadership, rarely does HR stop by and go, hey, are you coaching that team member to success? And and have you rewarded them for great behaviors this week? And can can you show me their their feel-good plan? They they don't say those things, but they say show me your write-up plan, and it's it's they they open up the SOP, and it's it's quite extensive. So I'm I'm ever so curious if if a company said I'm going to put the same amount of rigor into promoting and and loving as I do to firing, uh, what that would do to their workforce. And I suspect several big companies are doing that, and they're they're thriving at it. Uh, the one that jumps into my brain is Costco. Uh, Costco is a differentiator in that they don't have caps on their salary. You can just keep earning and earning and earning in Costco. Uh, and two is they reward long tenured employees for knowing, for being more knowledgeable, for knowing greater parts of the store and being able to walk customers to products more quickly. Uh, you actually get a, a, a an increase on your paycheck for being able to do those things. That's atypical to most big corporations. So Costco gets it, and I think that's really cool, but but the big boys don't get it yet. Well, I love this whole line of thought. Um, I've, I've always thought that like my my role in training was this weird, unusual relationship with people. it's 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 a leadership role, but they don't report to you. it's um it's kind of a mentor at a safe place, but um, again, they don't report to you and they may never meet you. it's um it's your window into who the company is. Um, so I've always felt like HR, marketing, training, they all kind of play in the same space. They have different roles, but it's hard to sometimes get people to understand, like, we are going to be the people they work with first and the most. We're setting a lot of tone here. Um, so it's so refreshing to hear somebody say that training is more than like learn these pieces of your job. It's it's bigger than that. It's so much bigger. and And so when and I, I love everything you just said. When I got to uh, experience this training team, so I had supported the training learning and development organization for almost five years. And finally, the bosses were like, hey, you're so passionate about this. Why don't you run it? I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Okay, I can learn stuff. <laughs> uh, so I didn't, I didn't know about knowledge deployment and, and the transfer of knowledge and all those amazing skill sets y'all have. Uh, but I knew I had smart training managers working for me and I can learn. When we, when we took over the space, me and, and my leader team, the mission in front of us was protect production. Do not let a, a bad frontline employee make it through training to production. Your job is you're the wall and you're there to ensure they know what they know and stop them from, from corrupting the, the, the production environment. And I thought, that, that's crazy. That, that can't be what this is. Because the trainers, unfortunately, they had an adversarial uh, relationship with some of their students. Like, you're not good. You're dragging our numbers down. And if I pass you, you're, you're going to hurt production and I will look bad. That, that's cuss word backwards. It's, it's completely opposite. So <laughs> the way we need to think about it, the way everyone should think about it is by the time we've, we've hired interviewed and hired and onboarded and begun training, the costs are sunk, right? The costs are there. We've, we've booked it all in our, in our P&L, our profit and loss statement. Uh, we are now officially expensive. And the longer they go through training, the more expensive they become. So by the time we graduate them, that, that cost is spent, that money is spent, and the, the company has, has invested. So that at that point and throughout the training cycle, every dime and every ounce of energy should be to protect and keep. How do we, if they're not the employee we need them to be, then let's shape them into the one they, they could become. And then the learning always has to be, if we are so dismayed with this one particular employee, how did we interview wrong? How did we hire wrong? And that's where, that's where we should turn that eye of Sauron. And, and instead of gazing at training, it should gaze <laughs> at the interview process. 
And we should put all the love and care into the interview cycle so that our leaders hire the ideal candidates or those who could become the ideal candidates. And we're stingy with the hiring. But then once they're in training, we are loving caretakers who are there not to fire and destroy, but to, to continue to grow into the production environment. I just had like the weirdest, it made me think of, you know, when you mix cornstarch and water and like, if you punch it, it doesn't move. But if you gently press on it, it can like shape into any form you want, like Play-Doh. I don't know. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the image that came to my mind <laughs> that you can't really force people. You've got to have the right environment for them to mold. So we're- we're saying trainers are non-Newtonian fluids. I, I, I love this idea. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, I didn't get a chemistry set for the holidays, so you guys are, are doing real well. <laughs> so, Abby, you, you hit on another point I want to tap on real quick, and that is think of the role of the trainer to the student. We are everything to that student initially. We're the mom and dad, we're the boss, we're the hiring manager, the firing manager. We are the brand of the company and all they know of that company is us. And so uh, initially we are, we're everything. And, and yet trainers aren't given these skills. They're not given tremendous leadership skills. They're not given psychology skills. Um, we have great training skills. We know how to impart knowledge, but all these other things were asked to become but, but if we say everyone we have hired is precious and they're now part of the team and they're wearing the T-shirt, uh, then we are the brand. And as good brand ambassadors, our job is to nurture and, and move them along this experience and help them become the candidate we need them to become and nothing else. We don't need an adversarial relationship with the student at that point. That's, that's pointless and counterproductive unless we want to convince one person that our brand is really, really bad. <laughs> It should, it should be a harmonious relationship. It should be, you've joined the right team. We're a great place. We're not in terribly tire, tire, uh, terrible at interviewing. Let's just continue to work with you until we figure out how to help you become this, this great thing. And by the way, we'll buy you the time it takes to get there because this experience is really, really expensive. So can we geek out for a while and talk about hard and soft costs? Yeah, please do. Talk yes. about some hard and soft costs because <laughs> yeah. I'm very interested. So, so think of this. Uh, hard cost is it's a it's bookable savings. It's that which the finance team says we recognize that as real dollars and we'll put it on the books as either a profit or a loss. Soft savings is we all kind of know it and we, we think it's real, but it's not measurable and finance won't book it. So you can save hard dollars and then you can also kind of point it and, and hey, we also got some NPS points over here. You know, the customer's feeling good about us or the, the employee's feeling really good about us. Employee surveys are a great example. We bumped the employee survey up a few points. Great. Hooray. Everyone's happy. But that's a soft cost. No one's going to give us money for that. So one thing we did differently in the space was we figured out there is a cost for every week this employee sits on our books and the cost grows. It's cumulative. So we went, we went and grabbed the easy one. We said, hey, what's a, what's a recruiting cost? We're paying a staffing agency. Great. Uh, we got some time there. We, you know, we have some, some advertising costs. Then we figured out how much time a supervisor was spending in the interview cycle uh, and all those costs. So we got, hey, it cost X dollars to bring an employee into the front door and hire them once we, we calculate. Every minute they sit in training, we are paying them a full-time salary for zero work. So again, hard cost because it's real labor. Well, regardless of what you make, whether you make uh, electronics or, or you assemble floor fans or you're taking phone calls, those products still must be built or answered or handled. So you have to schedule other labor to handle that product, right? If, if you're taking phone calls and you have a student in training, you're paying them, but the phone calls are still coming in. So you have to pay someone else to take those calls. So now you're at double labor. Then the student is not yet good at taking calls or building floor fans. So they're building and taking at a lesser rate than everyone else because they're, they're in their ramp cycle. So if I'm at a 50% proficiency as all my peers, half my products aren't being built and you have to pay someone else real dollars to build the other half that still must get done. So we added all these costs together and we said from week one to week 12, what is the cost of this student to have them through the training experience? And by the time I got to week 12, 
it was many, many thousands of dollars, real bookable dollars that finance said, hey, this, this is real money. It's all meticulous and we bless it. And then us greedy, loving capitalists said, hey, Mr. Business, if I took your ramp experience from 12 weeks down to, say, eight weeks, if I eliminated that four weeks of soak time, could I have all those dollars and count them as savings? And revenue said, Yes. Yes, you can. As a result of your good process improvement, we would pay, uh, we would recognize savings of four weeks of, of non-proficiency. Then I said, okay, but the only way we can factor that is attrition. Because if they just quit because we shove them out into production faster, we haven't done anything because now this entire cycle repeats and in fact doubles. Not only did I not save money, I lost money. So we figured out what they cost. We figured out what the savings was worth. And then we said, okay, great. Hey, student, work with us here. How do we get you to proficiency faster? And the answers were fascinating. One thing we found out, uh, they don't like taking tests. They don't like taking tests and they stink at it. And yet they can take fantastic phone calls. I don't pay them to take tests. I pay them to take phone calls. So why would I care if they're great at tests? So we, 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 we as a team, a big team, we looked at and said, okay, if, if our job is to figure out, did the knowledge transfer from book to student and tests stink, what else could we do to, to, to observe that the knowledge actually transferred? But in this unique environment, we, went, we worked with the actual students to figure this out. We said, hey, you guys trying to learn, what would make you learn betterer? And the answers were interesting, and we tested them with our with our process improvement mindset. And we found all kinds of ways to shave time off the, the ramp experience by creating a stronger, faster student who would be more confident when they got out on the production floor and stick around for a while. Training is not the buzzsaw. Wow, that that's incredible. And and by the word I I don't know if better is a word, but I'm going to go with it. I think it, think it kind of works today. Ah. <laughs> in, uh, in your example, like I'm really interested, like if I think about, you know, assessment's important, right? So finding and getting assessment because it creates, at least it's a baseline story for us, right? So we can say, well, um, 90% of our students in the onboarding program passed our assessment and therefore we did our jobs, right? So there, there's that assessment piece. But I'm really curious, like in your example, um, like the first thing that came to my head is like, well, we would totally role play this and you would go and put scenarios and either they passed the role play or they didn't pass the role play. Like, what were some of the things that your students came to you with and said, here's how we want to learn? And then how did you measure that, right? Because I feel like, Without the measurement story, a lot of us continue to be in the same spin cycle of every day I got to try to figure out how to prove my worth. And I'll, I'll let you answer that question. No, that, you're, you're spot on. And, and that is such a, an exhausting part of the job is training, proving the worth of its program. Um, one is when you go to your finance and you get some savings booked and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm better than you. Look at all my savings. Training rules. And in fact, training doesn't shrink. It gets to expand. Um, but Dan Coonrod, I would throw that question back to you because you are the tip of the spear of that team, uh, tack, taking down those improvements, uh, working with your 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 beta team, your pilot team. There, what are some of the the, the wins you guys found? Yeah, so I mean, Scott, I think you were kind of alluding to like how did we figure out people liked like phone calls over tests, and how did we like grade those? Is that kind of what you were shooting for there? Well, I, I didn't know what I was shooting for. I was really interested in what what the strategy was. So like, you know, what, yeah. what did you guys so, do? And then how did you prove your value? It would be my, if you're going to say you took phone calls, great. Uh, let's tell the story. Yeah, so I, I can jump in a little bit here. Uh, uh, to Will's point, this was definitely a project I was working with him on. I had the opportunity to work with him. And, you know, we, we had the the awesome, awesome blessing of a leadership team that was fully invested in getting to the answers and figuring this out, which is not something that like happens all the time. And they were like, go figure this out, go solve for this. And here's a bunch of people you guys can use as test groups. And so like we had a bunch of different teams that we could pull data from, that we could like dig into, we could ask questions. And so we could actually do real A-B testing. So it's like, okay, cool. This group is off and they're just taking the standard tests and they're following the standard route and procedure. 
And when we test them at week two, where are they? Okay, they're here. Okay, this group is getting uh, a new training program with the idea of an increased ramp, an increased prof- you know, to increase proficiency as fast as possible. And we're not going to test them, but we're going to like, we're going to use basically just like test calls and we're going to dive into these, these calls and we're going to see why they're saying stuff. And we're going to do a lot of follow-up with these tests. Um, I think the fact that people aren't good at tests is, is not entirely shocking. Uh, I will say though, to be fair, I'm very good at tests. It's the only reason I ever got through schools because I'm a really great test taker, not a great student. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what we found time after time after time is that, and this is a call center world, is that these new hires, they wanted to be taking phone calls. They wanted the real experience as soon as possible because they know that as, as long as they're just sitting here like in class, watching slides, letting time tick by, that they're eating up money. They're eating up costs. And like, I don't think very many people are super comfortable with that idea. And so every time we talk to them, they're like, can we take phone calls? When can we take phone calls? When can we take phone calls? If I could just take a phone call, you would see, I, I know how to do this job. And like, we'd look at like, you know, like this other group's test and we're like, uh, okay, cool. Let's, let's figure out how we get you a test call, an objective test call. And that was, that was a process in and of itself. But finally, like, as soon as we could like, let these people take tests, like test phone calls, like they blew it out of the park. Like they, they would be ready weeks ahead of schedule. Like, okay, cool. Like these guys are ready. They're ready now. And they're like, they're ready now. Like, yeah, they're ready now. They're performing with groups that have been taking phone calls for two and three weeks already. Let's go. And I mean, it was one of those things where it was super shocking and everybody up, down, left and right was like, I need to see your math. I need to see the reports. Like, are you certain this is true? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Uh, I'm I'm new in this role, so I am literally staking my job on it. <laughs> well, it makes so much sense. I mean, when you teach somebody how to ride a bike, you don't have them sit down and say, "All right, explain to me what you're going to do. When do you push a pedal? When do you turn the handlebars? When do you, you know, put on the brake?" You let them do it. Um, no one would ever learn to ride a bike that way. It would never happen. <laughs> There's no, it's true. a lot of validation in doing it. <laughs> yeah, something uh, something early on, Dan hit a couple main points there that were just, they make my heart happy. But uh, one thing they said is, we hate PowerPoint. Can you stop showing us PowerPoint? So one of the instructional designers got this massive four or 500 slide deck out and just sat there deleting. Don't need this, don't need this, don't need this. And they deleted two or like 200 of the slides and everyone flipped out. Like, you can't take that out of, of, of the slideware. Well, what was important is that they get the knowledge, not that they stare at a PowerPoint screen and get it by death by PowerPoint. Another thing was they learned by doing, right? We went off in a, a safe training environment. We experimented and then we brought the, the results back and we said, here's the results. Can we keep going? And after we validated the results, we're like, yeah, this is good. We're, we're still good. The third thing was we realized we had a robust quality system. If you know that that disclaimer you get when you call in and, and the, the, the robot says calls may be recorded for quality purposes. They're definitely recorded and people are staring and, and listening and every subtle nuance. Well, we already had a great quality team that rated these calls objectively. So we said, let's put these guys in safe, you know, put them in a bubble and take a, a training call and have our quality system score it and see if those scores held up to the production environment. So were these as good an experience as the production environment got when scored objectively by a whole nother team outside of the training world? And then the final thing we said is, hey, if phone calls are in this example, the phone calls are the thing and we wanna get them on calls as quick as possible, instead of the time we have and the energy we spend making tests and scoring tests and, and failing people and all that, Let's go find some third-party software company that has this test call environment and let's have real people call in in a, a safe test world and t- take a real phone call. We gave them real scenarios like, today, your phone has this problem. And they called in and one of our, our uh, A-B testing students took the call and troubleshot and that's a word and and gave a result and, and brought the customer to satisfaction. And then our our... Our quality team scored the call as if it was any other call. And only when we were as good or better than the production environment could we proceed. So I always say, 
if you don't, it, what do you sell? What is the product you're selling? And if that's not, if what you're measuring or what you're, you're disciplining is not the product you sell, you're on the wrong page. So if we don't sell tests and we don't sell our ability to take tests, then why are we disciplining the hell out of people for, for not doing well on a test? The other one that, that I'll never stop talking about is on-time starts, starting on lates and tardies and, and good old absences. Well, if your company doesn't sell on-time starts or it's a world-class ability to start a shift on time, why is that your top firing reason? So we, we must know when people are going to come to work, sure. And we must have some type of you know, way to measure, sure. But, but the top attrition reason can't be you fired people for being three minutes late. That's dumb. You don't sell on-time starts. You sell a product and measure the, the student's ability to make the product or, or create the experience. And if you have to flex your workforce just a tad to overcome their life issue of three minutes late, buy them the time it's going to take to, to figure out and unpack all the reasons why they're coming late without just getting them into that fire hire cycle as quickly as possible. Well, so much of what I'm hearing from you is this idea that training is not a service to a business, it's part of the business, right? Um, this idea that that just always getting better is like an abstract idea. Let's get concrete and make some real contributions to the business. Let's impact revenue. Let's make the business stronger. A lot of the ways you're talking about measuring is through relationships and understanding how the rest of the business works, right? You understood the quality assurance. You had a rela relationship where you could go to the revenue team and say, I need some numbers and I need to know where, where my give and take and boundaries are. That's a hard jump for a lot of training orgs to make. One, to feel like they're validated in the process of doing it. And two, to build those relationships where they're seen as this professional partner who's part of the business. Any advice for people who are trying to take their training from a service to a strategic part of the business? Yeah. So I think personally, continuous improvement training and HR are very best friends and should play in the same sandbox together all the time. Uh, I had the experience of getting uh, my Six Sigma green belt and then later my black belt. Uh, I, personally, I had great instructors that that uh, performed compassionate lean and taught us from, from the beginning of our, our training of your job is not to make the workforce so thin that it can't function. Your job is to find waste and murder it. And waste hides everywhere. So you know, go find the, go, go kill the waste and then, you know, take it easy on the people, you know? Um, so I would say for, for someone in a training org to either go make best friends with your continuous improvement department or person, or go get some continuous improvement training. Uh, because it's, it's, it's not a, a foreign language. It's not a, secret handshake. It's just a, a discipline and disciplines can be learned. And I think training and CI fit very nicely together because uh, everything that, that Scott said in the beginning, when we're not careful, training is looked at as a cost center and costs are expensive. And in, in any kind of thin year, when, when uh, you know we're having trouble making plan, it seems real easy to kill training. But the more you murder training, the more you murder your brand. Because you put unhappy, un, untrained, unskilled people into a production environment and they suffer and your brand suffers right alongside of them. So that's what I would say. And then uh, HR. Stop looking at HR as the adversary or, or, or the firing squad. Look at them as, as those who can help you be wildly successful and bring them in early and say, we want your help creating strong, happy, confident employees, not just keeping us safe from litigation when it's time to fire someone. Also making them part of the success plan, right? Hey, this guy is, this, this student is struggling. I uh, can't get him here on time. They, we've tried all these things and they're not working. Now let's think outside the box and try some different things. And HR can give you the runway to do that. Uh, of course, uh, everyone has this scalable argument with me. Well, that's not scalable. This is, this is a thousand person organization. We couldn't do that for everybody. I'm not asking you to do it for everyone. I'm asking you to do it for one guy. And then if that's successful and we save that very expensive employee uh, from the fire hire cycle, then we can examine our business and say, what else should we do different? But it starts with having those fantastic partnerships and just having that mindset of turning your cost center into a revenue center. I love what you're talking about. It reminds me of a saying that I actually just learned last year. It's one of those things I learned in 2021. Like there's 
the huge difference between doing things right and then doing the right things. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes, you know, as a leader myself, I really, really, really want to focus on doing the right things because I've been there, done there, made that mistake. Um, you know, I think I've got the home game, right, of, you know, I, I did the right things, right? This is what they told me to do. And I regret those things. Um, I've learned from those things. But, you know, for me, the challenge that I would throw out to our audience is like, try to keep that in mind. Like, you know, there's doing things right and then there's doing the right things. So I think that that's fantastic. And you're right. I think we've all been there, like had that conversation of, yeah, you're kind of slacking. Hey, um, remember we had this conversation that my parents kind of passed away a week ago? Like, I'm not in a really good place right now. And I really don't want to hear you talking to me about how I need to be here at 830. Uh, I'm doing the best I can, right? So um, I love this idea of, of uh, compassionately and how we need to remember. And I think that's why the great resignation is going on. You know, I heard somebody the other day talk about, you know, senior leadership really believes that people want three things. It's the three P's, right? It's uh, pay, promotion, and perks, which isn't true. No, they, they, I'm, listen, false. I'll take the pay. <laughs> I'll take the promotion and I'll take the perks all day long. But it's not what drives me to engage and do amazing things for you. It won't. You value me. You see me for what I do. And if I feel important to the overall process of this organization, I will stay and I will jump through hoops of flame. And what does that cost the organization? Nothing. It costs nothing. them nothing other than time. And I get that time is important. So this mindset, I think we're seeing this shift. We're seeing this pendulum shift of this, um, the three P's focusing in on the three P's or this fire hires <laughs> kind of mentality that I think that we've got. Because it's created this environment like the last time I heard, and Will, you can go ahead and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I believe the average tenure of Generation Z is 18 months. Why? Because they, they grew up in an environment where people told them that they were special. They, they told them that they had value and then they go to work for um, the big office downtown and they say, here's your chair and here's your perks and you don't mean anything to me. Well, that's not acceptable. So help us understand, especially from a process improvement perspective, what are some of the things that we can focus in on, especially from a measurement perspective, that can get us to a place where we, we, we deliver the compassionate lean and, and get tangible results from it that really matter? Yeah, a couple different things there. So it, it always depends on the industry you're sitting inside of. but. Uh, the, the, the term I use is measure what matters, right? Figure out what matters to your business and go measure it and measure it exhaustively. Uh, there's always kind of the, the hard KPI that, that these are the KPIs we must achieve to, to run our business and then, you know, some softer KPI. But if, if you take a hard look at your measurements, you'll find most of them have money hiding on the other side of them. Uh, quality is one of my favorites because often quality feels just like training, like, no one cares what we do until it goes horribly wrong and then suddenly everyone cares. Well, quality usually has a cost and it, it takes a little bit of work to, to, to work backwards from, from like a high level quality score to money, but it's always there. It's always hiding. So as you start degrading in quality points, customers start attriting off your product, your, you know, your brand recognition starts to suffer. You'll typically in any midsize or large size company, you'll have a client services team and they'll know exactly what that number is. And so go, go find that with those people and talk to them. One of my, my big deals is I'm a big communicator. I, I, I lovingly call myself a super connector because I'm just super into people and I, everyone's got something they can teach you and share with you and it makes you smarter and then you can go share it with someone else and it blows your mind. So go seek out that client services person and say, hey, every time we dip a point in quality, what happens to our, what happens to our brand strength? Uh, you know, uh, if, if, Productivity is our thing. If we got to make certain a certain number of units per hour, figure out what that's worth. What, how many units per hour, and why, and 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 what we're chasing there, and what it means if a trainee gets there to that goal point a week faster. It, it's worth something to the business. 
but but most importantly in the the Gen Z and the millennial, the, the the greatest thing you can do is turn to that employee and say, Hey, how do I do it, man? I don't I don't have all the answers. Tell me how you think we could get faster at this. And they'll tell you some wacky things to to try and then go get some permission, right? Hey, we want to try these wacky things. What if we threw the tests away? What if we we stopped watching the boring videos and instead walked out to the floor and everyone started practicing assembling their floor fans or or whatever it is, but go get some permission and go try some tests. But when you engage a Gen Z, a millennial, uh, the so-called snowflake, when you en- when you engage them in the experience, one, they're real happy to tell you, and two, they got real good ideas. They their heads are full of stuff, and they're like dying to tell you. Well, the smart people are listening and and bringing them into the conversation and finding the better, faster, cheaper way to do it, and then celebrating that success. You mentioned the three P, Scott, and I laugh uproariously because it's not true. It's so not true. If it was true, the highest paid company would just win every time and they're losing. They're losing the biggest. But for me, it's thank me, forgive me, and give me a little bit of flexibility. I sometimes don't want to work on a Friday. Let that not be a thing. Uh, but thank me. Like, God forbid. Hey, Will, you did, a, you did a good job doing this project. We really liked it. Thanks. And then forgive me. Like, don't. Don't make me march into the, the firing squad when I've when I've done bad or wrong and, and and destroy me. Just hey, we forgive you. You made a mistake. We forgive you. Move on. We know you, we know you have value and we like you and just, it's okay here. Move on. So that, that's how you keep a Wilbershide in place. You know, yeah, I, that, I, I you know, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was gonna say, I was, I was gonna say I love that. And I think that's that's that kind of attitude is like beyond generational. You know, we talk about like this idea of like generational workforces, but like everybody wants to be thanked. Everybody wants flexibility. Everybody wants forgiveness. There's no like Gen Z, Gen X, baby boomer. There's none of that stuff. Like that's, that's the workforce everybody wishes they had when they were in their prime of it. And like, I, I desperately hope that we're finally at the cusp that that's where we're going with this great resignation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Companies who are flexing are winning. A little bit of flexibility, a little bit of work from home, a little bit of let's not work on Friday or no meetings Friday. You know, they're winning and they're 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 attracting the top talent uh, and they're getting the best 18 months ever. (laughs) Well, let's just hope that we train them and we uh, engage them and and they'll stay. Right. So I think that that's at the crux of it, too. And I think from a learning perspective, we all own that. Love this idea of, hey, let's bring in your partners from HR and help them be part of the process. My experience has been that they they really want to be. Like I think deep down inside, most people got into human resources because they care about people. That's that's my humble opinion. Um, in the the process of the what you talk about, which is I got to protect the organization first before I protect my people first. I think is a huge part of what they do which is why they salivate when you're like, hey, I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and, and really, really, really make an impact for, for, the, for those frontline people. I, I, I genuinely think that they're all going to be on board for that. I think that that's a great thing. And partnerships part of what good leadership is all about anyway. And, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people are in this place. Like if you're in this place, folks, and you're thinking about how do we improve our processes, how do we make our people better, faster, stronger, I think this is a great conversation for you. Um, if you're thinking about like, hey, there's some things that we're missing, right? So we don't have an onboarding program or I don't have a new leadership program or I don't know how do we create uh, journey lines for the people, like give them direction on where they want to go. This is an awesome time to begin to build that uh, because you're right, Well, those organizations that make the investment to do that are going to win long-term. Love the example of Costco. Love it, right? Simple things like that, keep, keeping your people motivated and engaged can just make a real win for everybody. And then it goes back to what I talked about a minute ago, which is like, you're doing, you know, doing the right things, right? So I think that that's fantastic. As we, um, sadly, begin to uh, wrap up our time together, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to go ahead and talk about some things that were really important that maybe we didn't get to talk about yet. Yeah, the last thing I would hit on uh, that I'm always crazy passionate about, when we say lean, and process improvement, lean is not a four-letter word. It's not the the Bobs. It's not the Doom Police. 
the acronym I, I'd, I'd heard is uh, lean means less employees are needed. That is a perversion of lean. And lean does not have to be the bad guy. And it shouldn't be the bad guy. We certainly should look for waste and we should look for efficiency. But there's a term that that's not often, it's not talked about nearly enough. It's a Toyota term. It's called redeployment. And when uh, Toyota is, is the mothership of lean, and uh, when, they're, when they're helping a company begin its lean journey, the, the two things they, they teach are one is redeployment, taking an employee out of a job where it's no longer needed and putting them into a, a higher value, better job. Uh, and two, the CEO or the, the, the whoever's leading the initiative makes the provocative statement that no employee who is meeting their metrics and wants their job will lose their job as part of a lean deployment. When you make that psychological safety for people and then invite them into the problem solving side of the house, you'll get a 10x, 20x lift. But when you bring a lean initiative in and you just start cutting waste and then, and then uh, losing heads as a result, You'll have instantly taught people lean is bad, the bobs are bad, and we should run and hide from them. We should hide our dirty laundry, hide our secrets, say everything is great and no help is needed here. And it's it's just wrong and backwards, and it's 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 been popularized in movies and bad books and other things. Um, I don't know if I made the term compassionate lean or not. I read a lot and I steal just everything I read, so thanks some author somewhere ever. Um, but yeah, if you think about redeployment as your mission, uh, then no matter how good your lean initiative is, when you have your, your remaining people, those who are meeting their metrics and want their jobs, uh, to simply figure out where can I factor them right back into the business. And I might need to upskill them a little bit. And, and oh no, that's great. So you think about that team member, they killed waste out of their department and you gave them, gave them an award. Then they didn't have a job anymore and you upskilled them at your cost and put them in a new job. You have created an ambassador for life. They are now your champion. They love you and they they want this company to be successful. And they'll tell the next 10 people, hey, good things happen when we do this, this lean stuff, this process improvement stuff, and don't be afraid of it. When you do the other thing, lean is a four-letter word. Uh, so I, I would I would help everyone think about it's all of our jobs to do process improvement and to spot the waste and get it out of our process. And any good leader or any good trainer should be asking the students or the team members, hey, where do you see it and how do I do it? Uh, one thing I love to ask during training class is, hey, as you go along in your day-to-day, -day, tell me anything that you're doing that's just really, really dumb. If you're doing something and you think, this is dumb, why do we do it this way? We should really stop and challenge that. We should ask questions. We should think. Everything starts for typically a good reason or a business reason or a, a, a law or regulation. But 10 years later, we forget why we even do that thing. We just keep doing it. It's the students, the new hires who are going to spot that with their fresh eyes. And they're going to say, why do we do this? And then what would happen if we just didn't do it? Those are, those are cool conversations to have. Uh, and then everyone's process improving, not just some weird department off on the side. But yeah, don't be afraid of lean. Just be afraid of how people have taken lean and deployed it with a with a bad mindset. Uh, I just want to say I love that idea of compassionate lean. I feel like uh, you're right. Too often people are just like people are the most expensive part of my business, and I think they forget the other side of that equation. That usually people are also the most valuable side of your business. I don't think we could have started the year with a better topic. I'm so yeah. so in love with all of this and so happy that this is where we're starting a new year. So thank you, Will. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, Will. We love you. Thank you for uh, bringing the knowledge and a little bit of nerddom to this uh, nerdy show. Uh, could you do us a favor? Uh, let our audience know how they could connect more with you. Yeah, so right now they can easily find me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm... I'm a passionate veteran advocate. Uh, I'm I'm a very uh, active member in the Nashville veteran uh, support community. So come find me on LinkedIn. Come find me at the LinkedIn Music City uh, veteran networking events. I'm at every one of them. Uh, I have a writing project underway, but it's it's not quite ready for human consumption. So so soon there will be a, a website, but it does not exist yet. So yeah, for now LinkedIn is the place. And uh, if you want to get involved in the veteran community, reach out to me. Thank <laughs> you.
Well, thank you again, Will. We appreciate you, and uh, thanks for making us compassionate and lean. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a solid and tell our audience how they could connect with us? No. No, I'm kidding. Of course I can. All right, party people. If you haven't already, email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in the discussion. Tell us your compassionate lean story if you've got one. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all you Instagram peeps, we are Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Thanks, Dan. Okay, so this is where we're going to do our send off. Um, you know, I'll do a quick 60 second out. And then um, I know you've heard this before, but I, I always want to make sure people are ready. So I'm going to go, I'm Scott, Dan, Abby, and then you'll say, and I'm Will. And then we're the fabulous learning nerds. So what questions do you have on the your part of the outro today? None. You are fantastic. Okay, you guys ready? Let's do it. Because I'm not. I am not ready. But yeah. we're going to go ahead and do this. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Hey, folks, if you could do me a favor and hit that subscribe button. If you like this show, share it out with your friends. And if you really like the show and you're listening to it on a podcatcher like iTunes or Stitcher, leave us a review. We'd really love to hear how we're doing. We'd really love to improve. And it helps us get the word out to more of our folks. Until then, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Will. And we're your fabulous learning nerds. And we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you think it would give it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.